talk to you this morning about the path to becoming like Jesus. And last week, uh, Brendan looked at a passage of Scripture, did an amazing job with it, that really is a classic a uh, couple of verses he read and talked about one thing I do Paul writes in Philippians 3.13 forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus what's the goal what's the prize very simply it's to become like Jesus these verses that Paul is writing are all focused on that one goal, both for himself and also for all his readers and obviously all of us, that we become more and more like Jesus, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, he writes, the power of his resurrection, participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so I want to just kind of frame this message for you personally and just ask the question, are there some hindrances or maybe one thing that comes to mind that is a blockage for you, an obstacle from you and your Christian for you and your Christian walk that's holding you back from becoming and being all that Jesus has created you and called you to be? You know, it can be a fear, it can be a broken relationship, it can be some hardship in your life, a health issue, it can be a besetting sin, it can be any number of things. But there are obstacles that come up in our path all the time that want to thwart our journey, our path to become more and more like Jesus. And so Paul gives some really practical advice in the last five verses of Philippians 3. Three essentials, I would say, for that journey, that path to become more and more like Jesus. And the first principle he lays down comes out of the first verse here in verse 17. And it says, join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now he's talking about following others as we follow Jesus. In other words, look for people who are examples, are models of the Christian life, or specific aspects of the Christian life that inspire you. You know, I had uh, people in my life who inspired me in my walk with Jesus. Uh, and, and the word model here comes from the Greek word typos, which we get our word type, or, or uh, imprint, or stamp, or copy, or pattern. In other words, Paul's saying, I want to be a pattern for you, and I want others to be a pattern of what it's like to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. I remember watching my mother make clothes, and she would buy these patterns. I don't know how many people do that anymore, but they were the little thin piece of paper, and she'd pin it around the fabric and then she'd cut you know the fabric and it was a pattern it was something that you you would uh, cut your uh, vision out of so to speak and I believe as Paul says follow me as I follow Christ he says uh, I want to be an example of what it's like to be a Christ follower and Paul in several places urges people to imitate him because he knows that having a pattern helps people 
to practically get a hold of what God can do and is doing in their life. <clears throat> and so it's important for you to have people in your life who inspire you, who are a pattern or a model of what the Christ-like life is. And maybe your desires, all of us should be desires of being patterns ourselves, models ourselves to other people, particularly as parents, we want to be models to our children, as neighbors, models to our neighbor in the workplace, wherever. We want to model Christ to people and want them to see something of Jesus in us. In fact, the, the Quakers used to say, look for that of God in people. What do you, where do you see God in people? Those are the things you want to emulate and you want to be like. <clears throat> now, as a follower of Jesus for 45 years, it seems hard to believe, 45, I don't feel feel that old, but as a follower of Jesus for 45 years, you know, I've sought to really be a model or a pattern for, for my family, and so uh, I brought a couple family photos along with you this morning. Would you like to see a picture of my family? Well, here's a picture of my family. Aren't they amazing? They all look just like me. They, I've, haven't I done a good job? My five kids, their five spouses, my ten grandkids. See, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. People begin to look just like you do. Well, that's not really... That, seriously, that's how we really look. That's our family at my daughter's wedding this past summer. But... <clears throat> and I, I brought another picture. Would you like to see a picture of us on a cruise? Sure. There's us on a cruise. There you go. Us on a cruise. Now, seriously, so we're talking about, we're talking about following <laughs> others as they follow Christ. And this is a, a, our first essential in terms of uh, becoming like Jesus. And there are really three types of people that we can follow. The first type of person is a personal mentor. This is somebody that you know, that you're acquainted with. It could be a family member. It could be a friend from church. <clears throat> somebody that is following Jesus. And you know, as a young Christian particularly, I I looked in other men for Christ-like qualities. And it's interesting, I, I, and I challenge you to take some time today or sometime this week in your devotional time and just write down all the people that have inspired you in your walk of faith. Maybe it's a parent, a grandmother. Maybe it's a workmate. <clears throat> I had a number of men. I've got a list of number of men who, like one man in particular, I'm going to actually, actually to his 90th birthday party this afternoon. And when I first became a Christian, I worked with him. He was an elder of our church, and I was a new Christian, and he brought his Bible to work every day, and he was a man of the word. And that inspired me. I wanted to be a man of the word. I wanted to be bold in my faith. And it, it was breaks. He'd break his Bible out and read read his Bible. It sat right there on his desk and we used to talk about the scriptures and you know those kind of qualities. There was a man who was just devoted early morning time with the Lord his whole life, an older man and he inspired a number of us younger men to, to be up early in the morning seeking God and praying. There were, there were people in, uh, I knew who were great parents, great fathers. There was one guy in particular, he raised all these kid, five kids and they all were followers of Jesus and I thought I want to be like him and I'd go to him for parenting advice for fathering advice. And so, who are the people in your life who, who are models for you, who inspire you, who, who uh, are examples in your life? And so, uh, that's something to answer the question. The second type of person is what I would call a contemporary model. There's somebody who you probably don't know. You don't know them personally, uh, or best, they're an acquaintance. These are people who you admire, who you'd like to be like, and they're probably well-known people. They're a Christian leader, uh, an author, a speaker, a writer, uh, someone who 
has impacted your life. I have favorite authors that I like to read. I have certain leaders in the body of Christ that have inspired me as a Christian leader. Certain teachers in the body of Christ who I wanted to be like. They inspired me. I thought, I'd like to be like them. And so I'd read what they wrote. Who are the people in your life that you admire, who inspire you? Authors, authoresses, people who have been models for you of the kind of life you'd like to present before God and how you'd like to become like Jesus. I'd encourage you to sit down and write about it. Many, many years ago, I, I, I kept lists of people I admired. I just loved, you know, thinking through who the people are that impacted my life. And then, thirdly, historical models. Now, these are people, and these are safe bets, because these are people that have finished the race, and they're dead, and they're gone to heaven, and so they're not going to fall or have a train wreck somewhere down the road. You know, one of the biggest damages to the body of Christ are people who we admire who end up in the ditch, and their lives aren't all we thought their lives were supposed to be or look like. And so it's good to have people who have finished the race. You know, the people who you model are often just a few steps ahead of you. These are people who are no longer living. And, and oftentimes they're, they're, you know, they can be biblical characters. Like I, I have certain favorite biblical characters. I love Nehemiah because he was just such a great administrative leader. Such a, he got the job done. I was, I, I was like studying the book of Nehemiah. Or somebody like David who had, was a lover of God, passionate about God. And, and you read the Psalms and his prayer life was just unbelievable. Nobody like him in the scriptures. And so who are people you admire? People in the Bible or maybe famous people who have, you've read their biographies. One of the things that Susan and I like to do when we were parents, you know, we, uh, we're always reading some kind of Christian biography to our children. We raised five children and always to inspire them and give them a vision for what the Christ-like life really could be like. I just recently read the diary of David Brainerd. How many have heard of David Brainerd? Probably not a lot of people. David Brainerd lived in the early 1700s. He was a man who was very sickly, died at age 29, but he had an amazing imprint of Christ on his life, and he was dedicated, his life was dedicated to preaching to uh, the Delaware Indians in New Jersey and, and, and being a missionary to them. And he kept a very uh, uh, voluminous diary of his journey with God and his passion in prayer and his love for these people. And his last few years of his life, he lived with Jonathan Edwards, who was a great sort of giant of the faith, theologically, an amazing man of God. And uh, Jonathan Edwards, after David Brainerd's death, published his diary. And that diary, and this just shows you the impact of a, of a saint who's finished the course, finished the race. That diary got in the hands of William Carey, who was just a, 50 years behind him. William Carey was the late 1700s. He was the great missionary that opened the missionary movement into the East. And he uh, was a cobbler. He made a globe out of shoe leather, and he would pray over that globe of the world. And God called him to India, and he dedicated his life to going to India and being a missionary in India, and he, and he really opened up the door for the Baptist modern missionary, missionary movement. 
Now, another man inspired by David Brainerd's diary was Jim Elliot. How many have heard of Jim Elliot? This is a 19th century guy. He died in 1956. He only lived to be 29. He was inspired by David Brainerd reading his biography, his, di- his diary. And he went to be a missionary to the Alca Indians in Ecuador. And he was uh, martyred there by the Indians in, in 1957 or 56. And his wife wrote his story in a book called Gates of Splendor. Elizabeth Elliot was his wife. That inspired countless missionaries in the latter part of the 1900s. And so you see how inspiring these lives can be for us. And I just would encourage you, find people who inspire you. Read Christian biographies and autobiographies. I could, I, I've got a list of probably 20 people that have impacted my life. Men and women of God who poured it out for Jesus. And I'm thinking, I want to be like that. If they can do it, why can't I? I want to live that kind of life. God, I want all on the line for you, like they did. And so I would just encourage you, who are your heroes of faith? Who are your heroines of faith? Who are they? Write them down and think about it and say, God, help me to to become more and more like that. Well, then the next verse, the second essential for the journey is out of 18 and 19 says, for I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many aren't people you want to follow. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Really reminiscent here of Esau who traded a bowl of soup. He traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. Temporal value he, he grabbed onto that rather than eternal value. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And so the second thing he's really saying is, as you follow, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Now Jesus talked a lot about taking up our cross. In, in Luke 9.23, he, he said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. I always used to hate that word, daily. (laughs) You know, daily. That means every day. That means now. That means take up your cross daily and follow me. And, And in other places, he said, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. If you don't take up your cross, you can't be my disciple. And so what is an enemy of the cross? When Paul's writing here and he says, he says many are enemies of the cross. They live like enemies of the cross. They're, they're, They're people who reject God's will to embrace their own will. Now, we've had this saying for many years, and you've probably seen this too, but you know what the cross is. The cross is where God's will and your will cross. It's a decision point. It's a place in our journey with Christ where we have to choose, and it's daily. We're confronted with these decisions, these decisions to take up the cross daily in our lives. It's a daily thing. We get to a place where we can either forgive someone who's wronged us or we can embrace bitterness and resentment. We get to a place where we have to choose between generosity and stinginess, between stopping to help someone or hurrying on our way. We face the cross where we see something on television or in media that is an evil temptation and we choose not to switch to something else or to turn it off. That's a cross moment. A cross moment is choosing to be thankful versus complaining. Choosing to patience versus impatience. I could go on and on. Am I poking you somewhere? I hope I am. I'm poking myself. You know, whenever you point your finger at somebody, you got three pointing back at you. So uh, judge yourselves 
you know, rightly. And so the cross in our lives is something all of us are called to embrace, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And, and it begins, you know, so menis- such a minuscule way. You know, he says, their destiny is destruction. How is your destiny shaped? Well, it starts just with a thought. Starts just with a thought. And then that thought becomes a word. And then that word will become uh, an action. And then actions lead to habits. Habits lead to character. And ultimately, our destiny is shaped. So that's why the writer of Proverbs says, Keep your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. The seeds of being a cross embracer or being a cross denier begin in our thought life. Begin in the neighborhood between your ears. That's where it begins. And that becomes words. And so it's so important. You know, obviously all of us know resisting temptation begins right here. What we, what we think about. And we always need God's help in this. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But so what are you embracing? Uh, as enemies of the cross... You know, he says, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. I want to tell you a story of George Cisneros. I met George. Susan and I spent a month in Guatemala with our son and his family in February. He's down there for a year on a teaching assignment. And they've become very well networked in the missionary community down there. And George is one of the people that we had the privilege of meeting. It's an amazing story. Back in the end of 2011... George and his family were living in Denver, Colorado. Very successful businessman, entrepreneur. Uh, she's an amazing artist. They had all kinds of things going. I mean, they were, they were just, they had a money-making machine in their basement. And he's watching the Denver Broncos one afternoon. He spends three hours watching the Denver Broncos in December. He turns off the television set when the game's over. And suddenly, he has a God encounter. The Holy Spirit comes into the room, and he hears God say to him, do you love your wife more than you love me? Wow. I mean, it's like, he's, he's wondering, where's that coming from? And he just has to be honest. He, you know, he, he and his wife are church attenders, nominal believers. But he just, you know, in, in all honesty, he said, Lord, I really, I wish I did love you more than my wife, but I love my wife more. Then God asked him, do you love me? Do you love your children more than me? And he, again, he said, Lord, I, I really, I love my children. And then you know what's the next question coming, don't you? Do you love the Denver Broncos more than me? And that was like the, that was, you know, that was sort of the final thing. And he had to say, God, I don't. I mean, I, I do love the Denver Broncos more than you. God, I'd love, I, I would want to love you, but I, I just honestly don't love you like I should love you, like I want to love you. And God just came over him and he, and he, and he said, God, I want to love you. I want to love you. And he made a, re- a resolution right at that point that he, that was going to be the prayer of his heart. Lord, I love you. God, I love you. He was going to make a commitment to praying that prayer every day. And he was going to set aside all other prayers, all self-centered prayers. It was going to be kind of the prayer, rather than give me, make me. It's like the prodigal son, read, you know, asked for his inheritance. Give me my inheritance. He goes off in the far land, squanders his wealth. And finally, God changes his prayer from give me to make me. He comes back to the father and he says, make me like one of your hired servants. 
Make me prayers are powerful. They're powerful prayers. And I just want to say to you today, whatever obstacles you're facing, whatever things in your life you'd like to see God do, make a commitment to praying a make me prayer. And so George prayed every day, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. And he did that for a year. Almost to the day. Almost to the day he did that. And his church at the end of that year, was doing a uh, mission trip to Guatemala. And friends of his were encouraging him to come and twisted his arm and he finally said, okay, I'll go. I'll go for a week. And he, so he went down to Guatemala for a week. And it's one of those things where I don't know if any of you have ever been on a mission trip. You know, you get all excited about going and then you go and then you're there and you wonder, why am I here? You know, you don't feel like you're really having an impact. So he was just saying all week, God, why am I here? I don't even know. I don't feel like I'm making a difference or anything. And the last day, right at the end of the day before they're going to they're gonna head home, they're in a worship service uh, at an orphanage. And all these kids are just worshiping God. Oh, we love, and they're just praising and worshiping God. And he's in the back of the room and he sees the love being poured out from these kids and he says God I want to be like I want to love you like that and suddenly the Holy Spirit overshadowed him and he just began to weep uncontrollably and he just said Lord I love you I love you God I love you I'll, I'll do anything for you I'll go anywhere I'll, I'll take up the cross and follow you God I want you it's like God just suddenly answered that, that year of praying. You know, it's like, it's like when God answers, he answers speedily. It's like you can pray and pray and pray and pray, and suddenly the breakthrough day comes, and God just breaks in. Well, that's what happened to him. And God spoke to him right at that moment. He said, I want you to come back to Guatemala and make your life here serving me. And he just said, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, he was so overwhelmed by the love of God, he said, I'll do it. He got off the plane. When he got home, he went right home. He told his wife, Vonda, Vonda, we're going to Guatemala. And she, bless her heart, she said, I'll do it. Told his kids, I'll do it. You know, within seven months, within seven months, they sold everything they had. They gave up all their jobs, all their source of income. And they landed in Guatemala with two suitcases each. And they didn't know what they were going to do, where they were going to go, where they were going to live. And they found a place, and for six months, they just prayed, read the Bible, and studied Spanish. Just waiting for God's instruction. Well, that was in 2012. Uh, we had a chance, Susan and I, to go up with him to El Rosario, a little village he's adopting in the mountains. He's doing so many things. He's feeding the poor. He's adopted this whole little community. He's serving the community, building ovens for people. He's uh, helping orphanages. And he started a boys' school. He's got 80 boys in this little academy where he's teaching them the Bible and English. And this is a picture of him in a makeshift dwelling that they have right now. He's building this amazing facility. And he's not moving into the facility. They're going to live there until everything's paid for. They're $9,000 away. I just checked his website uh, yesterday. They're $9,000 away from having and all paid for and then they'll move up to El Rosario but it all started with a simple little prayer Lord I love you I just want to encourage you you don't know the power of your prayer you don't know the power of a make me prayer in the face of the cross a make me prayer four years ago three and a half four years ago God put on my heart to pray the prayer Lord make me a house of prayer that prayer I prayed every day for over a year. And you know, God totally changed my life, revolutionized my life in terms of prayer. It wasn't even on my radar screen. I ended up, at the end of praying that prayer for a year and a half, I ended up being the director of a house of prayer. Like, where did that come from? But God has totally changed the trajectory of my life in response to a simple make-me prayer. And so I just want to encourage you. 
Pray some make me prayers. You don't know what God's going to do. It's amazing. And then the last bit of instruction he gives here. But our citizenship is in heaven. I love this. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Don't you like that? Jesus, everything may look out of control, but Jesus is going to bring everything under his control. I remember years ago, Years ago, you know, when the, everything was shaking in the world, and that was back in the 70s. Like, we thought the end of the world was coming back in the 70s. We, Al Lindsay wrote the great, great planet Earth, and everybody was ready to be raptured out of here. Now it's 40, 50 years later, and the world's even worse today. But you know what? You know what the message was back then? It's the same message today. God has everything under control. I remember being in this conference where this prophetic word came forth, and it said, God has everything under control. Let's say it together. God has everything everything under control. Whatever's happening in your life, just say that. God has everything under control. And you know what? He does. Jesus is going to bring everything under his control. And then it says, and he will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Again, we're going to be like him. Even our bodies are going to be like him. Not just our thinking, not just our behavior, but our actual appearance is going to be like him. So, here's the last point I want to make. Follow those who follow Christ as you follow to carry your cross, pick up your cross. And lastly, remember you're a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. Say that together. I'm a citizen of heaven. You are. You're born from above. Your residence is in heaven, seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're not rooted down here. You're in the world, yeah, but you're not of it. My home, my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. And you're a kingdom person. And you know what your passport is? It's your testimony. It's a fact that you know Jesus, that you've given your life to him. Your kingdom passport. If any of you traveled abroad, you realize, particularly an American passport, gets you, has its privileges. There are certain privileges American passport holders have. Uh, I've experienced it personally in several countries I've gone to. A citizen of heaven, a heavenly passport, trumps everything. You know, when your heavenly residence, you know, and your government is from above, there's no limitations to where God can take you, what he can do in your life. So what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? Well, it reminds us whose we are and under whose authority we reside. That's why it's important to remember you're a citizen of heaven. It reminds us of our loyalties, that our loyalties are to Jesus. And his favor affords us whatever we need. When you're a citizen of heaven, you're a king's kid. You can believe for God's favor. I believe for God's favor every time I... And faced with any kind of challenges, I ask for God's favor. I want the best parking spot. I want the best line in checkout. I mean, right down the line. Expect God's favor in your life because you're a citizen of heaven. And the other thing is, it reminds us of our glorious destiny that awaits us to all who love his appearing. Citizenship in heaven requires going through a naturalization process, just like it does changing citizenship on earth. I want to read the U.S. naturalization process. It says, naturalization is the process by which the U.S. citizenship is granted to a foreign citizen or national after he or she fulfills the requirements established by Congress in the Immigration and Nationality Act. Now, heavenly citizenship is very similar 
Paul writes in Ephesians 2.12, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise. This is what it was like without Christ. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Jesus Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Jesus, and consequently you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. There's no illegal immigrants in heaven. Everybody has to go through the naturalization process. Now, recently, Susan and I kind of came to a deeper appreciation of this whole process, and particularly what, how important not only having, you know, the naturalization process as an American citizen, but also as a heavenly citizen. Our daughter-in-law, uh, married to our oldest son, Colette, Colette uh, was born in Canada. And so they married, and they've been living in the United States for over 10 years. But she had it in her heart to become a U.S. citizen, and so she's gone through a, a multi-year process of doing that. And back in December, she completed the process. She did the final interviews, and she took this test that was very unnerving for her, even though she's a professor and she speaks perfect English. I just imagine how difficult it must be for people who don't speak perfect English. And, but anyway, she went through the process, and she was, and so we were invited, we were invited to her citizenship swearing-in ceremony back in December at the Landmark Center in St. Paul, beautiful facility. There were 134 other people there becoming citizens from 48 different countries. It was really an amazing, it was just an amazing, revelatory uh, ceremony for me personally, very much so. Uh, and so she had completed her process, and, and it was a really grueling process leading up to this. You know, not only the testing and the interviews, but, uh, you know, somebody going through this has to provide all kinds of documentation, live in the country for a certain length of time, provide tax information, marriage certificate, birth certificate, even birth certificates of their children, bank account information. I mean, it's very grueling. It's, it's just like becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You've got to lay it all out there. God, I'm an open book. I repent. I put aside everything in favor of you. And so at the conclusion of the event, they did a pledge. They did the pledge. And everybody stands up. And, uh, and I want to read you part of this pledge because I think it's very revealing. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any king, queen, foreign prince, or potentate, state, or sovereignty of which or of whom I have heretofore been subject or citizen. Wow! That's cutting off, that's cutting off every other loyalty, every other allegiance. Just imagine. And that's what Jesus asks in a lordship commitment to him. He says, I want you to put aside, cut off, abjure, have nothing to do with any other lords in your life. Whether yourself or someone you love more than me, I want you to totally disavow any allegiance to anything but the Lord our God. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no gods before me. I'm thinking, wow, this is some oath. 
Every king, queen, prince, potentate, get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to be a you. That's the sin, the sin. I mean, just think about it. And then says this, I solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. We're called to bear true faith and allegiance to the kingdom of God. We're called to defend and stand up for the truths of the kingdom of God. Same thing. You know, you're basically swearing allegiance and you're promising to be a faithful, I'm going to be a faithful witness. That's what this is saying. I'm going to be a faithful witness. And then, and I will bear arms on behalf, I'm going to lay my life on the line for this. This is just not some nice little thing I'm doing here. I'm going to bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law. I'll perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law. I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law. In other words, I'm not my own anymore. I belong to a heavenly kingdom. I belong to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of the Father. I'm declaring his lordship today. That's who I am. That's where my allegiance lies. Just think about this. This is amazing. And I will take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Lord, I'm being honest with you. This is not just an easy believism. This isn't fire insurance so I go to heaven. This is a lordship commitment to you. No holds barred. I'm going to follow Jesus even if it means laying down my life. And we've got Christians all over the world right now. There are more martyrs today than ever before. To stand up and say, I'm a believer costs many people their lives nowadays. Subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs if you want a great magazine to subscribe to. Subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs. Get a monthly magazine. You hear about all places all over the world where Christians are laying down their life to say, I'm a Christian. Whether it's in Nigeria, Boko Haram, or it's in Iraq or Syria, or it's in Southeast Asia, or it's in South America. People are dying everywhere because they're Christians. Now, God's delivering some. There's some miraculous stories of people being shot, left for dead, and God resurrected them. But you know what? God is calling us to that kind of commitment, brothers and sisters, to that kind of commitment, to be free from the fear of standing up and being counted for who you are. You're a citizen of heaven. On the job, in the marketplace, in your neighborhood, you're a citizen of heaven. Carry that passport proudly. That passport has benefits too, amazing benefits. And they close with this. I declare today that I am a citizen of the United States of America. So help me God. I love that. I love that. I wish, I hope someday that may not, phrase may not be there anymore. But you know what? So help me God is the key. You know, we're citizens of, the, of whatever country we're from by place, but we're citizens of heaven by grace. It's so help me God. It's by God's grace. It's by God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and faith in him. I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away here, but I gotta, I've got to keep moving along here. There's Colette. She's so happy to be a citizen of the United States 
of America. You know, kingdom citizenship is a big deal. U.S. citizenship's a big deal. Kingdom citizenship is an even bigger deal. Have you renounced every other person, place, or thing which you have allegiance to other than Jesus? Have you made a commitment to be a faithful witness and defend your faith? Have you promised to serve the Lord and his kingdom purposes without reservation? When a person makes a kingdom experience, God comes in to help you. And citizenship has its benefits. You know, it says here, our citizenships in heaven, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by his power enables us to bring everything under his control and transform our lowly bodies so that we'll like his glorious body. When you're a citizen of heaven, you have all heaven's resources at your disposal. Just imagine, the favor of God is at your disposal. You can go wherever God calls you to go. You can do whatever God calls you to do. Nothing can stand in your way. We have testimonies of people's eyes being blinded by people cross borders and they smuggled in Bibles. And You know, God can do anything. In your life, he can do anything. I want to just close with a story. Uh, Ilya Korama. He's the guy in the... Right there. In the middle. So he uh, is a Romanian. He was a Romanian pastor um, back in the late 70s, the 80s, who was much persecuted because of his faith. He lived in the northern city of Sushava in Romania. And we have a dear Romanian brother, Ciprian Zoda, right there. Wave your hand, Ciprian. All right for Romania. Praise God. And uh, he was persecuted. He was in prison numerous times. In fact, he's standing in a jail cell he was once kept in here. I'll tell you the backstory on it. But in the early 80s, just as a, a fairly young man, the early 80s, uh, he was still in Romania. He was sleeping in his home. He was not in prison at the time. And uh, he woke up and a light appeared in his room. And a voice spoke to him, Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, follow the light. And being an obedient servant of God, he followed the light. He got up, got dressed, the light went out the door, down the street, turned the corner, down this street, down this street, out toward the edge of town, ends up at the railroad, on railroad tracks, there's a train sitting there, light goes into a boxcar that's open. He goes into the boxcar, closed the door, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him, stay here until... I tell you to leave. And so he's in this boxcar. He doesn't know what he's doing there. And the, a couple hours later, the train starts to move. And for two days, train moved, stopped in various places. They could tell you they were loading, unloading stuff. He's afraid of being found, but he's just sitting in his boxcar. And it goes on. And finally, comes to a stop after almost two days. And the Holy Spirit says, get out. And he gets out of the train, and here he is. The train has made its way from Romania into Hungary, what was then Yugoslavia, and into Italy. And he's now in Italy. He's a free man. 
And long story short, he immigrated to the United States, got married, and I was privileged in the mid to late 90s to go with him uh, back to Romania. We did an outreach there, and I actually took this picture of him in this prison cell. We took hundreds of Bibles. We stored the Bibles in the city, town, hall where he was once held in this room. We actually stored Bibles there. So it's an amazing story, and it tells you what it communicates is, as a citizen of heaven, don't sell short what God can do and wants to do in your life. God has his hand on you. He's called you not only to follow others as you follow Christ and take up your cross as you follow and remember that you're a citizen, but he, he, he wants to make you a model, make you an example to other people of what he can do in your life. And so I just close with asking this question and we close with prayer. What steps is God inviting you to take to become more like Jesus? What prayer could you write? This is a make me prayer. What prayer could you write? Just to say, Jesus, would you do this in my life? Let's pray together. Father, we ask you, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to breathe into every heart here a gift of faith. Lord, to rise up inside as we walk this path of becoming like Jesus and to rise up inside and say, Lord, make me this or make me that. Lord, by your grace, help me to become the person you've called me to be. Sweep aside every obstacle, every hindrance, God, from keeping me on that path to becoming more and more like you because you've begun a good work in me. You're going to bring it to completion. God, and we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, also for the offering that's going to be taken, and we bless you as we continue in worship in Jesus' name. Amen.